Now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or another you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed, and no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And still to an, another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and he distributes them to each one, just as he determines. Thanks so much, Vernon. Uh, spirituality, I think, is a huge topic in uh, First World Nations, uh, but it's incredibly difficult to pin down. It's a really slippery topic and you're trying to talk to people about it. So this week what I did, I consulted with an expert on, uh, on spirituality. I looked up Dr. Google and, uh, and plugged in defining spirituality, right? Just the definition of spirituality. This is what came back. Defining spirituality is not easy because there are so many different types of spirituality. And this is a whole stack of religious ones, uh, eco-spirituality, and a whole stack of things I didn't even know uh, what they were when I read them. It goes on, it says, it includes a sense of connection with something bigger than ourselves. Or it typically involves a search for the meaning of life. Uh, one academic I had looked at said he'd researched the term and discovered that there were 27 different definitions of spirituality with almost nothing in common. Right? It's, it's uh, obviously hard to pin down. And it just seems so subjective. If you ever had this conversation with people, everyone has their own individual thought and their own thought on what, what works for them. So again, uh, another expert said this, there are many spiritualities and what is spiritual to you may be different from what is spiritual to me. It's a choose-your-own-adventure space. Now let me say that is in such sharp contrast with Christian spirituality, okay? The stuff we've been doing the last couple of weeks and when you read the Bible. Uh, Christian spirituality is objective. It's not this internal search within myself for the meaning of life or the spirit within me, but God, by his spirit, brings us into a true and full relationship with himself through everything he's done for us in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. So what I'm saying is that the Bible provides us with absolute clarity 
about what true spirituality is. And yet here's the thing. Over the last 50 years, there's probably been no more significant debate among Christians than on how the Holy Spirit is at work in the world, in our churches, and in the lives of believers. And if I was to sharpen up the debate, I'd say there's been no more sharp debate than over the question that we're particularly turning our minds to today, the issue of spiritual gifts. Where do gifts fit in terms of thinking about spirituality and particularly thinking about spiritual maturity? What we're going to do is jump in particularly into 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the passage we just, just heard read. But before we do that, like, I'm just so aware that we all hit this from different backgrounds and experiences. Uh, we've got different thoughts. Uh, we've heard different people teach on it. And so I'm going to ask God that he'll help us uh, to be unified as we gather around his word and hear him speak to us this morning. All right? So let me pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that you are a gracious God. Uh, you speak to us through your word and you take uh, your word and you apply it to our lives and our hearts and minds by the work of your spirit. And we pray that will be the case as we come to look at it together today. Amen. What Paul the Apostle does in uh, this first letter to the Corinthians is he makes it clear that the number or the types of gifts that you have is no way to assess your spiritual maturity. Uh, so if you went back to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 7, it's on the leaflet in front of you. Uh, it says, Therefore you do not lack any spiritual gifts. So he's talking to the Corinthian church as a whole. And he says, You, you lack no, no gift as you eagerly await for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. Right? The Corinthian church was awash with gifts. They had gifts coming out their ears. Right? But you couldn't get a more endowed sort of a church. But then when you go on to chapter 3, verse 1, Paul has this statement to make. He says, Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. You have a stack of gifts, and you are completely immature. Gifted, but immature. When we turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, it provides us with a test for working out spirituality. So turn to that with me. Chapter 12, just beyond where Vernon read for us. It's verse 13. We're told there, for we were all baptised by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles or slave or free, we were all given the one spirit to drink. So here's the question. Have you been baptised in the spirit? And how would you know? How would you know if you've been baptised in the Spirit? Would it be because you uh, speak in tongues or display some other supernatural manifestation of the Spirit? How do you know if you're baptised in the Spirit? Come with me back to chapter 12, verse 3. This um, spirituality debate and giftedness. That was, that was what was racking this church. And Paul says in chapter 12, verse 3, no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. 
Now, do you think this was a problem in the Corinthian church? They were meeting, a bit like us, you know, gathered together, and uh, halfway through the meeting, you know, uh, someone jumps up, you know, David Wright type person, and says, Jesus, be cursed! You know, was this a common happening? In, David would never say that. But is this a common happening in the Corinthian church, do you think? I don't think so. Like, I don't think this is what's going on. You see, it's not just the words, you know. Jesus is Lord. You can say that, you're a Christian. Jesus is cursed. Oops, I'm now not a Christian. Jesus is Lord. Oh, I'm back to being a Christian. See, it's not, it's not just talking about words at this point. The great work of the Holy Spirit, the great spiritual experience that's being pointed to here, the true baptism in the Holy Spirit is when you put your faith in Christ. It's when you recognise that he is Lord of the universe, that he's Lord of you, and serving him is the point of your existence. It's knowing that Jesus is Lord. You know that Jesus is Lord. You have been baptised in the Spirit. Have you been baptised in the Spirit? Do you know Jesus is Lord? They're just flip sides of the same coin. That's the spiritual threshold test. But then the question is, well, what about spiritual gifts? Surely a mark of our spirituality will be if we see spiritual gifts in operation today. After all, aren't there some believers who are more open to the work of the Spirit, which is why you see certain gifts in operation in their circles, gifts like tongues or people being healed or other clearly supernatural type happening. I want to take a closer look at 1 Corinthians 12 and see if we can just pull this apart uh, a little bit more, get better understanding. Uh, In 1 Corinthians 12 verse 1, see how it starts off? Now about the gifts of the Spirit. While the word for Spirit occurs in the original language. Actually, the word for gift doesn't. Uh, It's a sentence without a noun, so the translators provide us with a noun based on how how the chapter actually develops. Literally, you can see I've sort of printed it out in your leaflets. Literally, it's saying they're about spirituals or spirituality or potentially spiritual ones. That's really the way it's being introduced. It's actually not until verse 4 that the word for gift appears. In verse 4 it says there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There's actually only one spot in the whole of the New Testament where this phrase, spiritual gift, appears. Just once. It's actually Romans chapter 1, verse 11. And Paul at this point, in talking to the church in Rome, he says... I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift. And if you were to go back and read that verse in its context, you'll understand that what Paul is talking about there when he talks about spiritual gift is the gift of the gospel. That's what he's got on on view when he refers to it there. Now, hear me really clearly. I'm not trying to play word games with you and one-up you because I know the Greek and you don't. You know, that's not what I'm doing here, I'm just trying to make the simple point that I think that Christians talk a lot about spiritual gifts. And the Bible 
doesn't at all. Which is just a bit of a tell in terms of where our focus is as we come to have this discussion. When we talk about spiritual gifts, though, what it does do is it creates a level of confusion about the source of where we receive our gifts from. So let me just dive into that for a moment. You turn to 1 Corinthians 12, verses 7 to 11. It talks about different gifts, and they're all made available by or tied to the Spirit, like wisdom or knowledge or healing or prophecy or tongues. Uh, Although there's a reference both to Jesus and the Father in that context. So there's a, a triune sort of operation there. If we went though elsewhere in the New Testament, so to a place like Ephesians 4 verse 11, we read there that Christ himself gave the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers. See, Christ was the giver of the gifts at that point and the gifts of people. If you go to Romans 12 verse 6, we discover that there are different gifts according to the grace given us by God. And it's clearly the Father that's on view. And one of those gifts is, in fact, the gift of prophecy. So as you read through the New Testament, it's interesting that the Spirit, Jesus and the Father, all give a variety of gifts and they all give the gift of prophecy. Even though here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, it speaks of the Holy Spirit. Now, do you understand... This is why the Corinthian church were confused. This was actually their problem. Because what they'd done is they'd divided God up and treated him as discreetly separate. Whereas the Bible keeps calling upon us to understand that God is one, three persons, and one God. And I suspect it's the same today for us as it was for the the Corinthian church. So there's the same risk if we focus on spiritual gifts as a distinctive experience, then what we're effectively doing is dividing up God and dividing up people in a way that uh, we're warned against doing here in this letter to the Corinthians. But let me take it a step further. Is the point that's being made here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is that there is a distinction between some gifts that you would call spiritual and some that you would call natural or non-spiritual okay is that perhaps what's going on here so uh yeah you could say the spiritual or supernatural gifts are things like speaking in tongues or prophecy or miracles or those sorts of things here and the natural gifts um things like piano playing and uh singing and preaching or administration you know is that perhaps what's being driven towards but i want to say that that's actually not a biblical distinction. That is, who, who gives the ability to perform miracles? Oh, God does, right? Okay. Who gives Chen the ability to sing? Well, I think it's the same God. Right? Do you know what I mean? That is, God is the one who gives gifts. He is the one who makes it possible. The true test of spirituality is not the gifts you have, or trying to identify which person of the Trinity might have given you this gift. But actually, it's the way you use these gifts, which is really the point being made here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and following, and actually the point that the whole of the New Testament does make. So let me turn to that with you. What what are gifts for? Why does God 
and give gifts. Firstly, I want to talk to you about what, why God doesn't give gifts, or the reason he, yeah, that is the reverse, the reverse side of that coin. God doesn't give us gifts so that we'll have confidence that we're Christians. That is, does God give people the gift of tongues or the ability to perform miracles so that they have that sense of that extra touch of God in their lives and that they're being used by God and that assures them that they're believers and in a close relationship with God? No. Now, he doesn't give those gifts for that purpose. In chapter 12, verse 3, yeah, it's very clear that you could be speaking in tongues and not be a Christian. But baptism in the Spirit, you know that Jesus is Lord. It's not to give you confidence you're a believer. Nor are the gifts a mark of Christian maturity. That is, the more gifts I have, or the particular gifts I have, or the more public the use of those gifts are when they're displayed, makes me more important as a Christian. No. And in fact, that's the very point being made in 1 Corinthians 12, and the one that Michelle was making in the kids' talk, right? Uh, you go to, say, verse 21 of chapter 12, and uh, just, just listen to this. The, the, it's picking up on the image of uh, God's people as a body, using that analogy. Verse 21, The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you, and uh, the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. It really is a funny picture that, that's being painted here, right? The heads are just getting a bit full of themselves, you know? Hey, you know, we obviously do all the work here. We look, we listen, we speak. Like, heads are kings, right? Heads rule, all right? That, that's the sort of image that's being presented here. And you can almost hear the hands responding. Ah, oh, sure, but try and eat breakfast without us and see how you go. You know, like it's that sort of idea that's being painted here. Believers, we are part of a church. We are part of the body of Christ and God constructs it so that actually it's all meant to fit together or it does not function and work. Okay. So gifts, not a mark of Christian maturity. Sometimes I hear Christians saying a version of this, that is, gifts are given to us by God for us to use. And of course, that makes a lot of sense. Isn't that the purpose you're giving gifts, so you actually use them? But there, I think, is a cultural downside to this in 21st century Western countries. Right? The, the cultural downside or danger is that I have a gift, therefore I must use that gift. And it becomes about me and my giftedness and the importance of me being able to exercise my gift. And I think that's just the spirituality of our age. It's individualistic. It's about self-fulfillment. It's about me being authentic, you know, true to myself. So at one level, let me say, God doesn't give you gifts, so you exercise them. That's actually not the, the test that you... Used. Nor does God give us gifts to bolster our sense of self-worth or so that we'll be recognised or just feel better about ourselves. It's always what God has done for you in Christ that anchors your identity, not about how you perform or use what you've got. Gifts are not 
for those reasons. So what are the gifts for? I want to take you to verse 7 of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Well, you go on to verse 12. Just as the body, though one, has many parts, but all of its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. Or verse 27. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is part of it. You see, the issue is not what gifts I have, but whether I use whatever I give, gifts I have to build up the body of Christ. The measure of spirituality is not the gift, but to use the gift in a spiritual manner. So who has the gift of uh, handing out leaflets, or the gift of serving tea or coffee, or the gift of cleaning up the yard? No one has ever come to me and said, I have this wonderful gift of vacuuming. Where can I use it? You know what I mean? like, but understand, that's the emphasis here. It's less about you and more about what needs to be done to actually build up the body of Christ. And I take it that's the point that's being emphasised when you move on to chapter 13, that famous chapter about love. It's not loving to exercise your gifts. It is loving to exercise your gifts to build up other people. You see, that's what's loving about it. That's what we're meant to be doing. What I want to do just as, um, just as I finish off over the next few minutes is try and um, talk through a few issues that I think a passage like this raises, okay, some, some wider sort of questions. The first one is, are all the, uh, the gifts mentioned in 1 Corinthians 12, are they available today? Should we expect to see them today or not? So you look particularly at verses 8 to 11. Notice the gifts that are mentioned there, gifts of wisdom, uh, knowledge, faith, healing, miraculous powers, uh, prophecy uh, to distinguish between spirits, uh, tongues, the interpretation of tongues. Uh, sometimes uh, people who are keen on their Bibles will say to you, I'm not really sure what these things are, so we ought to be careful and not go anywhere near them. Now, can I say, I think that's a bit weak, to be quite honest. <laughs> that is, I think that the Scriptures are given so we actually try and wrestle with them and understand what's going on. There's another group that would say, well, as you read through the Bible, there are always um, clusters of the miraculous. You know, so you go to a place like Exodus and you see an explosion of extraordinary miracles occurring. You go to Pentecost when Jesus is with us and then risen from the dead. You, the early church, you see extraordinary explosion of the miraculous occurring in that, that way. But we shouldn't expect it for every age and that we're not in one of those ages. And that moves to one end or even a more extreme end where people would say, what we have is after the first century, they all just disappeared, right? We just drew a line under that, never to see them again. That's a cessationist view. They were around, no more, okay? All those different sorts of perspectives and you can probably find everything in between. So we no longer need prophecy. We've got the scriptures and their fullness and therefore some things just disappear. I, I can't see any reason, definitive biblical reason, why God can't exercise his power by the Spirit in any way he chooses to in any age. 
right? That's just where I'm coming from. Uh, I don't think that there is a, a definitive limitation on why God can't exercise his sovereign power as he chooses today. Let me just make three comments in relation to that, though. Okay, the first is, a mark of maturity of a church will not be a preoccupation with a gift. That is, a mature church will never be ooh-ah-ish about gifts. You know, ooh-ah, there's something special going on here because of a particular gift that's being exercised. No church expresses its maturity by focusing on a gift. I'll just say that, throw that out. Nor does a mature church focus on the giftedness of a particular person in a church. Uh, that's not a sign of maturity. Whether it be a pastor or whether it be someone in the church, we never um, pedestal people based on their giftedness or actually for any reason. Second thing is the exercising of gifts is always subject uh, to the oversight of eldership in a church. If you want to read a little more on that, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 14, where there's talk about the use of prophecy and tongues. It says here that the, um, uh, uh, the gift of prophecy um, is to be controlled by the prophet. That is, it's, it's, it's something that's under their watch. But also that the elders make decisions about the appropriateness of a word that a prophet might have. They don't have a unilateral ability to exercise that gift in any way. So I take it there's always a, a group of eldership that exercise responsible authority for the good of a church under which people's gifts fit. And then the final thing is, uh, to say when it comes to gifts, will the exercise of a gift build up the body? Or will actually the exercise of a gift cause division among the people of God, okay? Just some thoughts about how you work it out. Second thing I want to just touch on as we um, uh, move through this is, what does it mean when you get to the end of chapter 12 and we're told to eagerly desire the greater gifts? You see that verse 31? Now eagerly desire the greater gifts. So then you, you say, well, is there a pecking order of gifts? And you go back to verse 28, and it talks about there being, first of all, apostles, second prophets, third teachers, and on it goes. So, should we all aspire to be prophets and teachers? Again, a few thoughts. Uh, one is, when, it, when we come to think about gifts for God's church, ranking gifts is all to do with what builds up the body, it's got nothing to do with, with me. So I take it that the reason why the word gifts are being emphasised here, an intelligible word gifts, is so that the whole body can be built up by the exercise of those gifts. Which is why uh, you get a clear uh, teaching throughout this section about the gift of tongues being fairly um, minor when it comes to church gatherings because it's unintelligible without interpretation so therefore hang on to it and we'll focus on the teaching gifts and the prophetic word of god being brought to measure on different people 
Second thing is, uh, we're to earnestly desire it for the church. When we, um, when we read the Bible, because we're 21st century Australians, uh, or 21st century educated Western people, you know, first world people, we'll, what we do is we tend to hit the Bible uh, in the first person. We read it for ourselves. And when we read you, we're sure it's talking about me. But of course, the Bible is generally a corporate book. It's, it's written to churches, peoples, rather than individuals. So when it says, eagerly desire the greater gifts, we're being instructed to eagerly desire them for the church. This is a great thing to pray for, right? Do you, do you want there to be more profoundly exercised word gifts at every level of our church? Yes. Pray that that happens. And who cares who doesn't? It doesn't matter as long as the body is being built up. Pray for the church. That's, that's what's on view. But let me just come back to really what I think is the main point on this topic, the main issue. A true measure of spirituality is a true measure of how you work it out for all who trust in Christ and been baptised by the Spirit is to know that we've all been called to serve among God's people. That's the measure of it. Remember reading a story about uh, the principal of a Moore Theological College uh, located in Sydney. Uh, there was a time when the college was going through a really you know, difficult financial situation and so there was an announcement made telling, telling all the students that basically what had happened was all the um, uh, practical staffing hours for the college had had to be dispensed with. So they, were, they did a shout-out for students to step up and to be involved in doing the practical maintenance and the setting up of rooms for lectures and uh, helping out in the dining room to serve and cook meals and numbers of other things, including cleaning. Apparently, every roster was subscribed to except for cleaning the bathrooms. Right? <laughs> no one wanted to clean the bathrooms. And for three weeks, they kept doing this shout-out for students of this theological college to volunteer to clean the bathrooms, and no one did. However, what they noticed was that the bathrooms remained clean. Right? So you may have thought this was one of the modern-day miracles, right? The self-cleaning bathrooms, you know? And we all think, oh, wouldn't it be good to have that, you know? A self-cleaning bathroom. Until one morning, one of the students was uh, uh, downstairs in the basement very early, right? And... Uh, wandered into the bathroom and discovered the principal in the bathroom uh, with his scrubbing brush, scrubbing the bowls and scrubbing the floor. Now, did he have the gift of cleaning bathrooms? Absolutely. <laughs> that is, he was willing to serve God's people with what God entrusted to him for their good and the good of all. Now, uh, I've been a part of this church now for, as a staff member for 30 odd years and uh, uh, longer as a member. Can I say that that's always been a mark of this church? Uh, it's been wonderful to see the way in which people have been willing to actually serve other people 
not, not for their own self-glorification or their own esteem or their own value. When I think about the staff you have here in the city, and, and I know many of them so well, they are a remarkably servant-hearted staff. And a lot they do, you just don't see. Um, I don't think Jeff's here necessarily, but Jeff and Wendy are a remarkably servant-hearted couple who just are constantly doing things that are unseen for the building up of other people. But it's not just staff. This has been a, a church with congregations where we've seen spiritual maturity being exercised constantly. People who do things without being noticed that are so vital for our life together. I remember coming in here one Sunday morning when finances were tight. Uh, no, Saturday morning when finances were tight. And uh, going into the Delbridge House and there was a guy in there painting Delbridge House, one of the rooms in Delbridge House. Now this guy, uh, let me say, was one of the leading engineers in Southeast Asia. But money was tight, he had a couple of hours, he came in and decided he could paint this room without you know, calling upon anyone else. And uh, can I just say, this has always been a church where people have demonstrated spiritual maturity because they've willingly stepped up to serve for other people's good and the building up of the body of Christ. Friends, spirituality is measured not by how talented you are. It's an extraordinary talented church as well, incredibly gifted. But who gives a fig? It's not whether you're gifted. It's whether you're willing to use what God has entrusted to you to serve other people. Let's keep aiming to be a mature church, a church of servant-hearted people that keep expending ourselves for the glory of God and the good of each other. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your wonderful kindness to us. You've, you've given us everything of value. And Father, we pray that we'll be so riveted by the gospel uh, that we'll keep desiring to see you glorified and honoured and that you'll help us as a church to keep growing as a people just long to serve and build up others. So Father, go before us and be gracious to us. Give us the right focus. Help us to keep taking our eyes off ourselves, putting them on you, and putting them on the purpose that you've placed us in this world for, uh, serving for your glory and honour, proclaiming the gospel, seeing your people built up. Father, we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.